Hi, everyone. This is Mark Iskowitz, and welcome to the MMM Marketers at Home podcast, where we explore how healthcare marketers are adjusting to the altered promotional landscape. Last month, I was fortunate to host Moderna's Patrick Bergstedt on the MMM podcast, and I'm super excited to have another marketer from Moderna on today, Barbara Salami, VP of Digital for Commercial at Moderna. She's an alum of GSK, where she spent five years as head of digital and customer experience optimization, as well as Shire and BMS, where she held digital marketing roles too. Hey, Barbara, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Super excited to be on. We're so excited to have you. Thanks so much. Um, since she heads up digital and because targeted messaging is so important in the rollout of Moderna's COVID vaccine, we're going to talk with her about how that approach may be shifting as the rollout progresses. Uh, we'll get uh, back to that in a moment for some housekeeping items, as we usually do on this podcast. Brand has a number of initiatives coming up, but just a few of the most near-term ones. This year's class of MMNM 40 Under 40, highlighting the next wave in marketing and health tech is live on our site. And the virtual award ceremony is coming on March 25th, so be sure to register for that at mmm-online.com. Uh, MMNM Trend Talks, our closed-door roundtable, is coming up March 23rd. If you're a biopharma or med device marketer and you want to compare notes with colleagues from across the industry, please consider joining me for that. And as the deadline for submission to the MMNM Awards approaches, uh, we've also taped our annual Awards Uncovered webcast. That was last week. If you missed that, check out the on-demand replay for tips and how-tos for crafting award-winning entries from two veteran jurors. Speaking of the awards, uh, which are now in their 18th year, they're open for nominations with the first deadline coming up April 21. And uh, finally, MMM Transform, our spring conference will be um, gathering under the theme of Navigating the Next. It's free to register. We have some great keynotes already announced. Uh, It's coming up May 4th through the 6th. You can register online. And as always, you can find out more about any of these events at the all-new mmm-online.com. Okay, back to the interview with Barbara. As I mentioned uh, at the top of the broadcast, you're an alumnus of uh, several different pharma companies. Uh, how about we start up by having you tell us about your background, your professional climb, and your role at Moderna? Thank you. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I, I'll start by saying I am a mother. I think it's really important <laughs> to just uh, give a, a, a picture of who I am personally. I'm a mother of three. Um, I am a woman of color, Nigerian heritage. I'm so blessed to have a, a pretty uh, supportive husband uh, and, you know, loving family. In terms of my professional background, I am an engineer by training, and I always believed that I would either be, I always believed that I would either be um, a doctor or spend my time in engineering. Uh, I fell into my calling, quite frankly, early in my career when I joined a, a, a startup company that started out really wanting to do biotech work and eventually ended up um, in bioinformatics. And uh, I said, that's where I cut my teeth into data and, and analysis, coding, and grew from there to join um, Aetna as um, an analyst, actually, um, a data analyst. I, ha- I also then had opportunities to work within our industry, starting with uh, AstraZeneca, where I was in sales operations. Uh, you know, and I've never been shy to take on new roles and opportunities. Scary. Most times they're scary, but, you know, I think that's when you grow the most. I, I moved from AstraZeneca to Bristol Myers Squibb, where uh, I applied for a job that I didn't think I would get, and I got it. And I was like, oh, oh what do I do? But I got uh, an amazing opportunity to build out the, the marketing analytics capability 
at uh, Bristol Myers Squibb, and that was an amazing learning opportunity for me, given that I had to touch every single therapeutic area that they owned um, uh, and, and they, they ran as a, as a business. I moved to Shire and, you know, grew from leading campaign planning to eventually being um, a global head of digital for the rare diseases portfolio. Another amazing opportunity, an area that I hadn't spent time in. And quite frankly, uh, Shire was the place where I truly cut my teeth into digital because that team was digital on steroids. I, you know, further took another challenging role at uh, Glasgow Smith Klein, a global role. It started out as an individual contributor, but what was most intriguing about it was I got the opportunity to build out capabilities for our top 24 markets. And so I learned so much about stakeholder management, how culture really drove decisions, and, and ultimately how to, to tell a story and how to, and how to help um, those with very diverse perspectives come together and align around a, a single vision. So that was a huge opportunity for me. Uh, my last two years, two and a half years at Glasgow Smith Klein was building out the customer experience and experimentation uh, practice, which is not normal in our industry, but I was so obsessed by uh, the apps of the world, Netflixes of the world, that I wanted to do every, anything I could do to bring their, their best practices to bear for us was, was one thing that I wanted to do. And um, today I'm at Moderna. I've been at Moderna for six months, joined during the pandemic. And I, you know, have the pleasure first of working with probably some of the most brilliant minds that I've ever met um, in our industry. Uh, but more importantly, I have the opportunity in partnership and collaboration with, uh, you know, again, these amazing colleagues of mine to build out the best ecosystem to support our patient healthcare providers and channel partners. And the ultimate goal at the end of the day is to make sure that each and every one of us um, has universal, equitable, and easy access to our medicines, and that information thought is available at any time of the day, when it's needed, how it's needed. And that's uh, ultimately the role I have. So it's, it's early days yet, a lot of work happening, and we're still in build mode, but I'm super excited about you know what we would begin to unveil in short order. And that kind of answers a question ahead and that is what does good customer experience look like in healthcare and you just kind of summed it up you know universal equitable access to our meds you know and a, a platform that allows that is that basically it in a nutshell that's it i mean all the research shows you right that there are two things consumers patients healthcare providers and other partners want it's um it's it's a product you have and ultimately information that's related to that product and anything we can do to wrap around services to make it faster and easier and quite frankly mimic the amazing experiences they have um, outside our industry is what, what we should always target. I think what's interesting about our industry is for a very long time we've taken for granted the fact that consumers and patients come to us at a moment where they're their vulnerable best and Sometimes it's just, there isn't a choice. <laughs> there really isn't a choice uh, but to be on our, on our therapies. But the world is changing, right? The, the dynamics of the markets we find ourselves is most products are commoditized. Even when you have unique products, there are some baseline expectations. 
consumers are more empowered. Healthcare providers are more empowered and they're not willing to settle. And, and if we want to win, it's really critical that we start by understanding their needs. Great. Um, you know, I also wanted to mention that when you announced your move to Moderna on LinkedIn, uh, I believe you had over a thousand responses from people congratulating you and, and, you know, not just liking, but writing comments. Uh, I know that that says a lot about you and, um, you know, the fact that you put others first. I just wanted to, to mention that. Uh, <laughs> I was very, very impressed to see that. So, so yeah, of course. And so, so they finally got you to, to move to Boston. You know, the, the focus early on in the rollout has been on supply and distribution. Um, and that, that was the messaging focus, you know, back, you know, earlier on. Uh, but now that 111 million shots have gone into arms per the CDC, I can't, can't believe that, that we've achieved that milestone. It's about a third of the, of the U.S. population, right? Um, yeah. You know, to, to what extent are vaccine communication shifting to generating demand? So I think what's interesting about the situation that um, we're in is we're still in um, an emergency use. We, I mean, we're still within the confines of an emergency use authorization, which essentially means our product has not yet been fully approved. Um, so it still, you know, places a lot of restrictions in terms of what we say and what we do. I think ultimately, irrespective of the timing and where we are, one of the things that we understand is there's still a huge hesitancy around vaccines and vaccinations. So our focus isn't the demand. We believe, you know, we have, we have an amazing product. Um, it's really about, you know, how we help those communities, especially those impacted the most, to get more information about the vaccines, help them understand wh- our vaccine, help them understand why, and make sure that at the end of the day, we can all get back to the lives we valued in the past. So the demand piece, I would say, is is one that we don't talk about because it does mean that the tone changes. And I think it's important right now that we still focus on uh, our driving equitable access and understanding to our, our medicines. And that's where, that's where we are focused. I believe, you know, that kind of mirrors uh, what's happening on the national stage with the Biden administration's national campaign, which uh, last I heard is is being held up. And, you know, until we have a shot available for everyone, the federal government does not want to build too much enthusiasm for it. It kind of sounds funny, but I guess the the approach now is, is really um, of a more targeted nature. Um, and as you say, uh, making sure we have equitable access and, and smoothing out the um, health disparities prevalent in, in the rollout so far. Um, so let's let's shift over to, you know, Moderna's digital marketing strategy and efforts. You were brought in, as you said, to kind of fill out the end-to-end, you know, digital capabilities. How has the, you know, pandemic influenced your strategy? I think what it's done, it's created an urgency for how we think about digital and what, dig- what digital means. Um, within uh, the ecosystem. So historically in the past, if you think about our industry, you would have, you'd have brand marketers, then you would have digital marketers, and then you would have a tech team. (laughs) Um, And, and everyone would be competing potentially uh, to build, to build platforms uh, um, or basically just push their advertising out there. Right. So what we've done differently is we do still have, you know, the core roles of product leaders and, you know, switching, as you, you know, 
um, a number of them report into Patrick. But more importantly is just understanding that there's been a sea change in how consumers, healthcare providers, who tend to be our targets, and quite frankly, even channel partners who order vaccines from a B2B standpoint have adopted a, a digital digital at a rate that we never anticipated. So it's really forced us to think about our starting point. The advantage I would say Moderna has over most companies is we never had any infrastructure. We didn't have any leg legacy infrastructure to worry about. So from our perspective, we're starting from, from scratch, which is designing the journeys, the flow, how we believe consumers, and they tell us that, right, because we do the research, how consumers want to get information, what kinds of information they want to get, and we're doing the exact same thing um, on the healthcare provider side. Our goal ultimately is to build an Uber self-service ecosystem where they never have to think about a contact center unless it was absolutely necessary. So our our approach um, is really starting is really starting experience first, and then all of the tentacles of experience, whether it's content, um, whether it's channels, it's the data and how we use the data basically to uh, provide additional insights, feed into that. But we are, are definitely starting experience first. And I want to make sure, as, as I said, um, we want to make sure that we're, we're learning and, and really borrowing the best of the, from the best of the best. So we think about Lemonade and how Lemonade has done an amazing job with automation. Well, why not? <laughs> Why, why should we have every single step require human interaction? Why can't certain pieces of the workflow be automated? We completely love um, how Netflix has thought about content. Uh, we don't always need to push content out there. Quite frankly, I think consumers appreciate if we could provide value and organize it in a smart, intelligent way. So how do we do that? We obviously really admire what Amazon has done and how they continue to consumerize every part of the ecosystem. And so how we do that is also a big part of how we think about it. Even Domino's is an example. How do you try to, how do you bring in radical transparency in everything you do? How do we make sure that at every single stage of their engagement with us, they know where they are and they know how far they are from completing that engagement. Those are all pillars that we've built into our our way of thinking and our way of working in digital. In summary, I mean, for, for Moderna and how we think about Moderna, everything we do, we would integrate automation, digital technology, machine learning. And that's essentially where it starts. So it's not, it doesn't start with the message. Uh, you know, it, it totally starts with um, the experience. You've totally flipped the strategy, you know, from product marketing um, and kind of thinking about experience, you know, down the down the line to ex thinking about experience first. And and you called out some some great examples there from other parts of not only the healthcare um, industry but outside the healthcare industry. You know, not not just Lemonade, you know, which is the uh, uh, insurance provider uh -huh. insurance website, but Netflix and their next next best action function uh -huh. and Amazon kind of, um, you know, consumerizing every part of the of the process, as you put it. Can you give me one uh -huh. kind of a tangible example of how 
you know, some aspect of automation or consumerization kind of a, a consumer would see that when they were interfacing with your digital marketing? So we're, we're very much in build mode right now. Okay. Um, uh, we're, we are in build mode, but I will tell you in, in short order, um, those would be experiences that would start to come live. Uh, but as I, as I said, the, the ecosystem, as we build the ecosystem, these are core principles that are p- part and parcel. And you can hold me to that uh, uh, the next time we have an opportunity to, to speak. But we are building. And I think I mentioned we are literally six months now in to having a product in market, not necessarily fully approved, but in market. And so we are fast track. We are doing running a fast track. That said, you know, Moderna at this point has probably some of the best uh, digital capabilities and automation in, in place when it comes to manufacturing, um, R&D, and, and even our ability to generate medicines, right? So digital is basically the main fabric for how we've done things and one of the reasons why we've been so quick. And I'll say this, I mean, quick, right, with the right due process, but we've been able to accelerate our abilities to get um, our medicines out to the world. So, so everything is kind of still disease awareness for now, pending the formal approval. But uh, while you're still working under the emergency use authorization, nothing is branded as of yet. Nothing is branded. <laughs> and we'll keep it still until we, we, we finally have a full approval. Sure, sure. Understood. Okay. You know, with Johnson & Johnson rolling out its one-dose vaccine, just wondering how is that impacting activities around Moderna's shot? Let me, I'll say, I'll say this. When I interviewed at Moderna, one of the things that intrigued me a lot was the die-hard commitment to consumers and patients. And what that said to me was our competitor strategy or our competitors weren't really the drivers of who we were accelerating and innovating around. It was totally around uh, the consumers. And I use consumers a lot because if you think about vaccines, right? It's protection, it's wellness. And so quite frankly, that's not been, strategy hasn't necessarily, it's not necessarily around what a potential competitor um, has done. Our piece always comes back to the voice of the vaccinators the voice of the healthcare providers and the voice of the consumers. And, and those have been the things that have really driven our approach to how we, we plan today and how we've gone to market. So the one thing I would say for sure is, you know, we're grateful that everyone is rallying around this pandemic. And our hope is that we get, we, we finally see, you know, the end of the pandemic, but Moderna is focused and I would say focus solely on making sure that our patients um, have access to our medicines and, and it, it remains safe uh, for them. You know, one of the things I touched on when, when we Patrick and I spoke about a month ago on the podcast, and of course, Patrick is kind of heading up Moderna's general marketing team. And we were talking about the, the, the marketing for the shot. And I, I kind of asked him about, you know, what the company is doing to remind patients to get the second follow-up shot. And um, so, you know, since then, there's been some data uh, to show, I think it was from the CDC, that Americans have been remarkably good getting that second shot. So 
um, apparently, you know, whatever you're you're using there is is working. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're grateful, and we're, we're we're letting the the FDA and and the CDC kind of you know tell us and keep us honest. But um, super excited to be part to be part and parcel of the the solution for sure. Let's just uh, switch gears a second and talk about targeted messaging, which you know experts have said is important in the vaccine rollout. Um, not necessarily, um, as I've learned, to the exclusion of PSAs. You know, as we know, there's there's a big campaign now rolling out from the Ad Council to you, which I think launched uh, last month, uh, which is appearing on TV, radio, and online. I, th- I think it's a positive message. Uh, you know, it's, it's up to you, not, not necessarily to get the vaccine, but to become informed, which I think is a smart more nuanced way of saying it. But, you know, experts have said that, you know, it's important to speak to different subgroups too. Um, and, uh, you know, so wondering how that manifests in your tactics. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, cla- what, what would I say? That's classic marketing, right? It's segmentation, understand who, you, you know, the targets, understand how they think, feel, and what they do. And, you know, figure out, you know, the best way to communicate so that it does, it resonates. And, and I, I think that's, to me, if we if we don't do that, if we're not doing that, then we've missed the boat. So it is part of how we um, are are thinking about our messaging, and quite frankly, have thought about our messaging. Uh, you know, take a look at we've looked at healthcare providers and the vaccinators in particular. And you know, normally when we talk about the segments, it comes across as if we're talking about a, a monolithic um, group, but that's not the case, right? Even we being uh, providers, there are those who are more hesitant. Uh, we know that females are are less likely uh, to get vaccinated. Now, you know, the, there's more information, sh- there's more data showing that the hesitancy has reduced as, as we're getting, you know, better traction, but it's still there. And so how do you speak to them? You know, the, the women who are CEOs of their household, who are a significant proportion of the, the the vaccinators. How do you do that? How do we talk to um, um, communities of color and brown communities, indigenous communities? And so we we think about all of that. And who is even and what's the right way and who is the right person to even deliver the message? Those are all part of the Senate process that we we go through. So I wouldn't say that there's anything uh, particularly different. What I would say is maybe more intentional and deliberate is how we design our experiences to ensure that no one is excluded, right? Or unintentionally excluded. And so our research is broader than it used to be in the past. You know, if you, and I say in the past, uh, outside Moderna, because technically we're all new (laughs) on the commercial team but this idea that we need to have a representative group of panelists whenever we do research is very critical um the fact that if we if we're pulling together any ad boards it has to be balanced if you think about the work that um my colleagues um led with the trials we were very deliberate and and, you know i i i'm I'm still in awe (laughs) Of, of the team that pulled off probably one of the most significant changes in trials by having a balanced and probably slightly over-indexed um, a population of trial participants who were from minority groups, right? That never, that never happened, um, especially in phase three trials. 
So it is something that we're being very conscious and intentional about. It's not opportunistic. We want to make it a way of life and we're, we're being very conscious about not losing that when we get too busy because it's easy under pressure to, to fall back to your old habits. Sure, sure. And, um, you know, what are you doing to reassure Americans who are unsure about vaccination, especially uh, Black, Indigenous and people of color? We spent a lot of time on uh, panels, engaging with churches, really talking about, um, spending a lot of time sharing the details, quite frankly, about the trial, because what I think what a lot of the individuals within the BIPOC community don't see is representation within our industry, right? So, it, you know, it's almost like, well, how do I know and how do I trust you if I don't see people like me? And so there's been a concerted effort to have um, very transparent conversations about the trials, uh, conversations about, and even having um, employees of color participate in those panels. Again, it's 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 not we're not trying to be opportunistic, but we understand you know the importance. So it's I'm not going to say it's an easy nut to crack for sure. But we are being very deliberate about that. Sure, you, you have to be, right? Um, you know, so many public health officials and, and media commentators have warned people not to engage in certain behaviors like unmasked hugging after vaccination. But some say that this has confused a lot of people uh, and created the misimpression that vaccines aren't effective. Uh, but now that the CDC has come out with formal recommendations about what people can do after getting the vaccine, do you think that that makes the marketer's job a bit easier? <laughs> no. Uh, well, <laughs> so let me say, I don't necessarily think that it does, um, you know, because at the end of the day, in reality, those recommendations aren't necessarily recommendations that, you know, we are empowered to talk about today. So I would say in this, in, in the current climate, it has, it doesn't change, right? Um, you know, what we talk about, um, other than the reality that we believe in the science and, um, you know, we'll continue to go down that path, but I, I don't think it changes. And I'm trying to think about a reason why that would make it any easier for marketers. I, I don't know. Cause I, I, the way I see it is, those who believe <laughs> that wearing a mask protects them will do that. And those who don't will not. So I think we have to go beyond, you know, the rational components of how, why people make the decisions they make and, and focus on the real underlying reasons for hesitation. Um, and, and I think that's what the marketers, what marketers should be focused on. You know, the CDC will do what the CDC does, which is an amazing job right now. So grateful for that. But, and this is my personal opinion, obviously, this is not Moderna speaking. Um, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, our focus has to be how we make our communications, our marketing, um, our messaging more comprehensible. Because sometimes we speak, it's so scientific that it inherently excludes everyone. Um, we we are we're hesitant to tell the stories about you know what's in our medicine, and there are people who want to understand that, right? You know, Muslims would say, well, I don't want to take medication um, because I don't want to take medication because it might have medicine in it. 
right? And so all of these things are, are things where that creates the lack of trust um, and further drive, I would say, the maybe for lack of a better word, the re rebellion <laughs> against anything that comes out of our industry. And so I, I think our focus really, again, is the messaging, who we're talking to, how we talk to them, who does that on our behalf transparently, and, you know, staying true to transparency. Well said. I mean, I think what I was getting at there was that um, you know, now that the CDC guidance is coming out, come out, it's taken some of the guesswork out about what a person can and can't do or should and should not do after getting the shot. And so marketers can really focus on really what's really important, which is, um, you know, driving home or emphasizing the point that the, the, the shots do a phenomenal job at preventing death and severe disease uh, and all three really, really do that. Um, and so that's kind of what I, I wrote about a couple of weeks ago. And that's the kind of, that's, I, I thought that would kind of make mar marketers job a little easier, a little, little bit more. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. I'll, I'll just ask you one other question before I let you go. Uh, you know, this is the marketers at home podcast. So I, 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 I meant to ask you earlier how, you know, the, the pandemic has uh, impacted your life, um, how, how you're faring. And, you know, given your role, you know, and, and, and uh, what your concerns are, what, what excites you most about the future? Yeah, well, what can I say? The pandemic has been wild. That's what I tell everyone. Um, it's really opened at least my eyes to how resilient I started. You know, so I started a new job and a pretty demanding job during the pandemic. And so, you know, figuring out how to navigate in a fast, a truly fast-moving environment um, without the opportunity to see individuals face-to-face, -face, which I love. Um, unfortunately, didn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't meant to be at the time. Uh, you know, so, but, but also, right, it's the reality of me as a mother of three, trying, figuring out how to juggle, right? Kids, virtual, my, my, my youngest, my four-year-old, actually has not been um, to preschool for the last year. So, you know, there was a, it was a little bit of a initially trying to figure things out, a balancing act, but, I, you know, we've, we've hit our stride and it's nothing at all. Um, I would say that it's just been wonderful to be around the kids and watch them develop and grow. And, and quite frankly, habits that I didn't know they had formed. I was like, wait, when does that one start? <laughs> so I have the opportunity to correct that. Um, in terms of my concern, I would say, you know, as a woman of color, just, you know, um, and a woman, the pandemic has had just a devastating impact on um, women in particular, right? Women are more likely to be lower paid. Um, in, in many communities of color, women are the breadwinners, but they're also, they also make up the largest proportion of the informal economy and were the ones who lost their jobs. So, you know, many families have been set back. And I think my biggest concern is whether and how quickly, you know, we can get back to a place where all can have access again. You know, that's my big, that's a big one for me. And ultimately the role that we can all play to help women. And, and, and in particular, I would, I would call this out again, you know, we think about marginalized, marginalized of the marginalized. So I think that's, that's a big piece. And I, I'm hoping that we all find ways to enable them re-enter um, the economy again. In terms of, you know, the future, 
and what excites me, besides what excites me personally, I would say I am so excited about the promise of Moderna and the role it would play in our future. You know, I, I think we have an amazing platform, one that has the potential to generate medicines, our mRNA platform, generate medicines that were completely ignored by, um, you know, big pharma and uh, the pharmaceutical industry and even some of our life sciences, biotech um, peers, one that hopefully in the not so far future would enable us have true personalized medicines where we would never have to worry about um, access. And so I'm just super excited by the leadership, super humbled to be part of an organization that stands true to its values of being extremely bold. I mean, they're so bold that it gets me dizzy sometimes. <laughs> um, resilient, uh, you know, truly collaborative and, and, and staying curious in terms of really understanding what needs to be done to make it better. I am really excited about that and, and without question excited about how humanity truly has been further injected into our lives you know, as a result of the pandemic. So that's, you know, um, you know, where I am in terms of what excites me and, and, and some of the concerns, you know, I have. Oh, those are super noble goals. How fortunate, you know, to be in a position, you know, where you can really um, impact those, those goals. And, and you clearly are making a wonderful impact uh, in, in your work. And uh, uh, it's a very inspirational to hear. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The pleasure was mine. Well, we're, we're going to call it there. I, I want to thank Barbara for coming on the show. I um, also want to give a shout out to Gail Hurd, who does communications for women of color and pharma for connecting me with Barbara. Uh, you know, WOSIP has a new initiative that we hinted at a few weeks ago uh, since launch. It's called We Are Pharma, and uh, it's designed to address COVID-19 vaccination concerns in minority communities. And the goal is to uh, serve black and brown communities to demystify, if you will, the pharma industry and increase knowledge of pharma drug development and women of color leaders. And uh, they, I believe they have uh, an event going on this week. Uh, it's on the 17th, what they call a vaccine R&D business boot camp uh, that's designed to increase capacity for those who work in the pharma industry. Uh, but it's the first of three events, um, and, uh, around this initiative. And you can find out more info on that by going to WOCIP, W-O-C-I-P dot O-R-G. Okay. And if you like this, uh, episode as much as I did, please give it a like, please subscribe to the podcast on your audio platform of choice, whether it's Spotify or Apple podcasts or another one and uh, help others discover the show. Well, that'll do it uh, for another episode of the m, &M Podcast. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care. Bye.